All right, welcome in the Cube Show podcast, a college football podcast. Usually comes to you on Sunday. Uh, wasn't able to get it in. Traveling back from Baton Rouge, New Orleans to Charlotte. Just couldn't get it done yesterday. It is Monday. I'm in Charlotte getting ready to head over for Read and React here. The studio's here later today. Uh, great time in Baton Rouge. Always love seeing the folks there. They're always so friendly. Always cool rolling in there. It's a special place, man. Tiger Stadium. There's nothing like it. Um, got to head over to Phil's. Got some amazing food. Um, <clears throat> visiting with the Florida coaches in person. Love talking with those guys. I, I, for one, believe in what Billy is building right now in Florida. Uh, I, I think that he's got what it takes. I think that he's going to find a way to get it right. They just need some more players. He's got a good recruiting class coming in. And I understand it's not what people want right now, but I think when you look at the improvement of certain parts of that team over the course of this year, that they got a chance to get it done. We got a massive weekend of college football that we got to discuss, especially in the SEC. Um, just unbelievable, some of the things that took place. And we'll start with that Florida LSU game. We're brought to you each and every week uh, by our friends at Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. You know, you can go online, wicklespickles.com, use promo code CUBE, save 15% on your order. So you can get them to drop ship those to you right now. Go to the Instagram, Wickles Pickles, at Wickles Pickles. You can see all kinds of recipes, different things that they do. All right, um, 52-35, oh, man, Florida, 5-5 five and five on the season, have to get either Missouri on the road, which is a game in the middle of November, in Como, don't feel great about that one, or Florida State, yikes, uh, a team that's undefeated. Got to get the bowl eligibility, though. They need those practices. They need the ability to get extra guys in, extra time, extra reps, familiarity with the schemes. Um, going to be tough for them to do it. Graham Mertz, was, he was really good. 26 of 38, he threw for 311. Florida had 488 yards of offense. It's, it's not like they couldn't move the ball. They ran for 177. ATN goes for 99. Uh, had a couple of touchdown runs. I thought he was good. Not as much Montreal, but that's where it's been kind of going the last couple of weeks. Uh, the offensive line I thought played well. thought Austin Barber had a nice game. No Kingsley at center, uh, but I did think Jake did a pretty good job. The operation up front there was something that was concerning to me. Um, I know you want to move the pieces. I know you want to shift in motion, but your quarterback has to understand communication is going to be difficult. And sometimes you're just going to have to run a play. Even if it's into a bad look, whatever it is, it might not be the exact call. Quarterback's got to understand that. And Graham Mertz has enough starts now to be able to get that. So I thought maybe he or Billy, I don't know exactly who it was. It's hard to tell. We're trying to do a little bit too much in that area. Um, but you know, Ricky Pearsall, seven for 103. If you listen to the game, you heard Tom and I both say it. Thought they should be going to him a little bit more early. Uh, he was the guy that could have made some plays. But the thing that I loved about Florida in this game, and I know you guys are going to see the final score. You're going to see LSU stats. But the thing that I loved was they were out of this game multiple times, and they fought back and fought back and fought back. So I just think you're too young. You're not deep enough on defense to be able to manage this LSU offense. Uh, Jaden Daniels was unbelievable. I, it's it's one of the – I tell people all the time, um, I saw this kid for VMI, Reese Udinsky, beat Sanford. I called that game. He's playing quarterback. He tore his ACL, came back in on a torn ACL and brought his team back to win. Like that was the most impressive individual performance I think I've ever seen, partially because he tore the ACL in the game and then came back with a brace on. And then how he did it was just remarkable. But what Malik Neighbors just did – First player in FBS history with 350 pass yards, 200 rush yards in a game. Ever. All time. Ever. Second player in SEC history with 200 and 200 in a game. Rush pass. 
SEC all-time leader now for total offense in the game, 606 yards. It was, it was remarkable. Um, he would be my Heisman front runner. Uh, if we were giving it away today, he wins. I don't care about the record. I've heard more and more people talking. I mean, I think Desmond even said it Saturday morning. Listen, he's got the trophy. So, and he's got a vote. I don't have a vote. They never give me a vote for that. But, you know, I think hearing him say something about it's not your number, just about who you beat. No, absolutely not. Um, that it's the most outstanding player. Let's view it through a couple different lenses. Who's the most difficult player in college football to defend? It's Jaden Daniels. Um, you know, who does more for their team? It's probably Jaden Daniels. You know, who, who forces you to, to be most different defensively or when you're trying to face them? It would be Jaden Daniels. Like the breakaway speed, he's running away from DBs. He is making guys miss in the open field. And then just absolutely dropping dimes down the field. The deep ball accuracy is what probably that and the, the running abilities are, are what separates him. But 17 of 26, 372, three touchdowns, no interceptions passing. Uh, 12 for 234 rushing, two touchdowns. Um, LSU ran 35 times for 329 and four rushing touchdowns. They had 701 yards of offense. It's an, an insane what they did. Brian Thomas, six for 152 touchdowns. Neighbor, six for 132. And Florida got some stops early. I mean, they, LSU at the end of the first quarter, maybe even at halftime, wasn't great on third and fourth down. Now you had the one in, at the goal line where I thought you need to try something a little bit different on fourth down, but it, it is what it is. I thought Denbrock all in all called a good game. He moved him a little bit. You see the RPO stuff. I mean, now you got the zone read going where Jaden's going to fake the zone read so he can hand it. He can keep it. He's dynamic keeping it. But they put the tag on it for him to be able to throw it as well. Like there were two or three of those plays, and I'm just sitting there thinking, I don't know how you defend that. I don't know what you do because these receivers are so good. The offensive line's pretty good. He's obviously dynamic running the ball. It's amazing to think about. Um, and I think neighbors should be up there as far as the Bolitnikoff is concerned. Like I know Marvin Harrison Jr. gets all this credit, but why are we not talking about Malik Neighbors, especially the, after the catch and run, like the physicality that he utilizes? He's a great blocker. Um, this LSU offense, man, they're on, they're unreal. That offensive line's maybe the best in the league right now. They're, they're playing at a high level and just that defense has got them in trouble a couple of times. I don't think you should question what kind of a player Jaden Daniels is because LSU's defense had a few letdown performances. That, that's just my opinion. Um, I thought Will Campbell had a good game over at left tackle. Um, Josh Williams had a great game. The big block down near the goal line was awesome. I thought he ran the ball hard when he was given opportunities. Um, you know, defensively, I still think 99 Jordan Jefferson deserves more credit for that LSU defense. I thought Mason Smith got out of his gaps a little bit. He's trying to swim guys and get, and he's losing, he's losing his, his gap integrity when he's trying to do that. And he gets into the backfield some, but it's costing him yards at the same time. Perkins came on a little bit late. Glad to see his injury wasn't anything serious. Uh, that secondary's thin, man. It's really thin, but you know, um, you know, you're still gunning for nine wins, maybe 10 in a bowl game and, and see what you can do. And you might be able to get your quarterback to Heisman, Georgia State and then Texas A&M. Um, if they can manage that A&M front, I know they can put up big numbers on the back end of that group and they don't even have a head coach right now. All right. Um, we'll get to the head coaching stuff here in a little bit. Um, Ole Miss goes down to Georgia. They go to eight and two. Georgia goes to 10 and oh. This was complete dominance. Um, there was not a lot on this film that I watched where I said, wow, when referencing Ole Miss players. Um, Judkins had some really wow moments. I, I like that they at least tried to force it to him, get him going early. Um, obviously, Dayton Wade had some wow moments in this game, but 
there just wasn't much, man. Dart, 112, no touchdowns, a pick. Uh, he was 10 of 17. The longest play was 33 yards for Ole Miss. That's not how they win games. They had nine flags in this game, six of, I think, 13 on third down. So it just – it wasn't there. The reason it wasn't there was a lot more Georgia than it was them. And what you're starting to see with this Georgia defense is how quickly they compress space. They close space faster than any defense I've seen this year. Um, Bullard on the back end was incredible. Yeah, he had the pick, but it's, it's what he does in the run game that's really exceptional. Um, and you're seeing more guys off the edge, like Damon Wilson off the edge is now coming on. Like 44-90 inside, they all flash. It's collective with this group. Like, Jamin Dumas Johnson's not even in the game, and here comes C.J. Allen, 33's all over the place, making plays, closing space. Uh, Tyke Smith, we've talked about him the last couple of weeks, made a couple of good plays. Like, they just, they don't give you a whole lot. And when you take what they give you, they compress it fast. Like, very quickly, they make up ground. And what's cool about it is when you watch their linebackers in this game, a lot of the East and West stuff that Ole Miss gives teams Split zone where you run zone to the right and the tight end comes to the left. Sometimes they'll add jet motion with that or they'll get them going both ways or the quarterback fakes where he can, I mean, Jackson Dart's been a very, a very good runner this year. Well, the fakes with potential Q run and maybe even some kind of a dink off that, like those linebackers, they're, they hold their ground and then go at the last minute. Whereas every other linebacker that's faced Ole Miss has been jumping with that movement and jumping with that motion. These linebackers don't do that, and it gives them a massive advantage at being able to compress you and close that space and not give up explosive plays. They put up 611 yards, though. They had 300 rushing yards. Uh, Milton, 9 for 127. Here's the dangerous part about Georgia. You know, you get Trust back, you know, Mims back, and if that – Bowers is obviously back. If that downhill portion of that team – begins to come on here in the last few weeks of the season, they're not going to get beat in the postseason because you have a quarterback that can pick you apart. that makes great decisions. Um, Deck was 18 of 25, 306, two touchdowns and a pick. The interception was right in the receiver's hands and popped up and they caught it. Nine different players caught a pass. They had four plays, four players who had plays of 40 yards or more in this game. Like the, the ability to spread the ball around to – Brock, Lovett, Ladd, Milton, Edwards, like it's, once again, like it's different than LSU because they're more dynamic in more places. But how do you defend it? Like, what do you take away? Like, Georgia might have to grind it out a little bit more than LSU would, but it's not like they lack explosive capability. So if, if they get the power run going, and I will say one of the long runs for Milton, it was a run stunt and the old Miss defender took himself out of the play. There are way too many guys running into each other up front for Ole Miss. Like, they're running run twists, and guys are banging into each other. Guys are not looping around quickly enough. It was a rough day for that defensive line because they did not touch Carson Beck. And I don't say that from the perspective of, oh, he didn't get touched. Like, it's a cool thing that there were no sacks. Carson Beck didn't get touched in the pocket. Like, not a hand on him that I saw. If you want to prove me wrong, go back and watch it and let me know what play. I'll go check it out for you. But this was a purely dominant performance by the Georgia Bulldogs, and they are asserting themselves in more ways as the season progresses. It's going to be scary, man. They're 10-0, 52-17, hell of a win for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, and I know uh, my man Nick over there, Blue Delta Jeans, hated to see Ole Miss go down. You guys need custom denim. Blue Delta Jeans is where you need to go. They are comfortable. They're flexible. 
They are breathable. They're the best pair of jeans you'll ever have. I got a pair sitting right over here that I'll be wearing tonight on Read and React. I love my Blue Delta jeans. Go to bluedeltajeans.com. Check them out today. Be a great holiday gift. Give the gift card, and then they can go get fitted themselves, have them for themselves, and you'll never want another pair of jeans. I promise you, they are exceptional. Bluedeltajeans.com. Tell them you heard about them right here on Cube Show. All right. Um, Alabama smashes Kentucky 49-21. The, the thing about this game is Bama gets to 9-1. Kentucky gets to 6-4. and four, Another great game for Milrow. This game needed to go about one or two ways for Kentucky to find a way to win. And it did not go that way early. You give Alabama the ball back with the fumble right there in scoring position. They punch it in. Now you're playing from behind, which even though you have explosive capability at receiver and a quarterback that's put up some numbers, it's not who you are. And you allow the Alabama defenders to play a little bit more loose and be able to tee off and run more and be more aggressive up front so that risk-reward had a big payoff for the Alabama defense. And Kevin Steele and T-Rob had a good plan up front. Once they knew that they could really sort of put their cleats in the ground and go after Devin Leary, it was lights out O'Reilly. They knew they were going to get some slide protection. They took advantage of that with some twists and some three-man games. Um, I thought Quandarius Robinson did some good things for the Bama defense. Turner and Braswell are exceptional off the edge. 15 and 41 were great. Um, didn't need a ton inside, really. Uh, one thing they did do is bat a couple balls down. Kentucky actually did that as well to Milrow. Um, but I thought the secondary was the difference for Alabama in this game because you saw Kool-Aid McKinstry coming up and playing the run, Malachi Moore coming up and playing the run. Like It felt like like six flew up and played the run a little bit. Everybody who was involved in the secondary play, Caleb Downs may have had his best game in an Alabama uniform. They were all up playing the run, setting the edge, doing different things like that. Like That's kind of crazy to think about. Um, when those guys physically can come up and have that kind of an impact on a game. Um, I thought Jihad Campbell did some good things at linebacker, but you know they shut Ray Davis down. This Kentucky team ran for 95 yards. The offensive line did not have a good day for Kentucky, specifically in protection, but it wasn't great in the run game either. And once again, the game dictated that you weren't going to be able to be in a spot to just lean on that. So you can't just say, oh, Kentucky can't run the ball. Um, it went to a place that greatly benefited Alabama. And the film showed that based on how Alabama played it and how Kentucky had to play it. Like they're not just a drop back team. I don't think that's what they are. Um, so it's, it, it got to a spot where Devin Lear was taking a lot of hits, a lot of batted balls, guys in his face, and it wasn't a real comfortable performance. Um, I thought the Alabama tight ends had a good game. CJ Dupree had a really nice game. Robbie Utes did some good things. Nye Black did some good things. And, you know, it's Alabama can go that bigger personnel and give you the give you the thought process that they're going to try to pound you, which Jason Roydale can. And I love the way those backs are running the ball right now. Like they are getting downhill with authority. But then you add the quarterback run off of that and they become really difficult to defend. I just I don't want to see the Alabama offense become overly reliant on Jalen Milrow leaving the pocket. It's not who they are. And I don't think anyone can just be that. We've seen great players be able to leave the pocket. Tebow, Manziel, Cam, Vic, whoever. If you just rely on that, though, Lamar Jackson was probably the closest to just being reliant on it. He maybe Manziel. And Lamar had to because his offensive line wasn't good the year he won the Heisman. But if you just rely on that, at some point in time, somebody's going to be able to take that away or it's going to cost you because you're not, you're not going to be able to find it. Um, so I think I, I want to make sure that they have those baseline of plays that they can lean on moving forward. And I feel like they're there. It's just you didn't have to see as many of them in this game. 
Um, the scramble drill was great. He does a really good job keeping his eyes downfield, staying focused on trying to throw the ball first. But when he's decisive and he leaves the pocket, it, he goes. So Jalen Milrow's game has come a long way. Like visually, you can see his growth when he's in the pocket. It really has come a long way. It's been pretty impressive. Um, so Devin Leary, 17 to 31, 158, a touchdown and a pick. It's just they, they didn't have a time to really get it going. Alabama had three sacks, nine tackles for loss. It was a dominant performance up front by both sides. I do think Deion Walker had a good game for Kentucky. Um, I thought J.J. Weaver did a couple of nice things. Eleven came down and tried to play the run with authority. I liked seeing that. But they got lost in the scramble drill. And that's something you're not used to seeing. Kentucky doesn't let guys just run wide open. But scramble drill is a big reason as to why that was happening. So six and four, Kentucky still a chance to finish strong. Uh, at South Carolina this weekend, my crew is going to be on the call for that game. Looking forward to it. It's been a, it's been kind of a weird game a couple of times over the last eight or nine years. Um, and we'll see if we get another one. And then, of course, you get Louisville, which is a really good football team, uh, to wrap up the season. Tennessee goes down to Missouri. Um, Tennessee now seven and three, Missouri eight and two. It's a massive win for, for Missouri. There's one back in the history of the Southeastern Conference that has done what Cody Strader did. 35 for 205, rushing with a touchdown, five catches, 116 yards. He could have had another 30 or 40 receiving. He stepped out of bounds two times. Not his fault, but I mean, I'm just saying like there was more space if he didn't go out of bounds to pick up even more yards. They used him extremely well. They had the zone scheme going. When that stretch play's going and your offensive line has a good idea of when to reach a guy. So when you reach him, you cut him off. So you turn back on him and cut him off or to keep driving them and, and run them past. He has great patience vision of just kind of waiting and then knowing when to get north and south. There was Tennessee linebackers that were overrunning it. There was Tennessee defensive linemen that were penetrating upfield too hard and getting reached. There were guys that were slow playing it that didn't get over in time and got blocked and got cut off. Um, Tennessee's D-line did not play it well. I thought 10 had a pretty good game inside for the Tennessee defensive line. But there's some other guys that are getting moved, and this is not the first time we've said that. Those interior guys who really played well early in the season have got to do a better job holding their ground and got to be better at the point of attack, not getting the shoulders turned and not getting pushed off the football. And they did. So it wasn't just a stretch play. Uh, they ran duo. They ran inside zone a couple of times and Schrader cut a few of those back, which was that overflow that really got Tennessee in trouble. Um, Brady Cook, not excellent, didn't need to be. 18 of 24, 275, a touchdown and a pick. He, he used his legs to break the defense down a couple of times also. But no other back in SEC history has run for 200 and caught for 100. Think about that. Think about all the great backs in this league's history. And there's one guy that's done it, freaking Cody Schrader at Missouri. Wow. Um, you know, they hit Joe Milton. They got pressure on him when he decided to throw. They disrupted the run. Uh, you know, Darius Robinson and those guys did a really nice job playing a lighter box, getting a push on the offensive line, and not allowing those backs to get going for Tennessee. They took the Austin Armstrong approach of a lighter box and penetrate, try to disrupt, get the timing and rhythm off, and they did a great job with it. The other thing Missouri's defense did, they tackled well. Uh, Joe Milton was a little off. He missed some throws, yes, but more importantly, he was a little off on some of the potential catch and run balls, slants and quick throws, some throws over the middle, where receivers potentially could have picked up another, I don't know, 10, maybe 20, 30 more yards, those balls were taking those receivers to the ground. And when that happens, that negates a lot of potential yards, especially in that offense. 
Um, couldn't get him really going as a runner. They tried it. But the, at the end of the day, Missouri tackled well. They had numbers on the perimeter, so those quick screens weren't going to get going. Their DBs came up and made really nice plays. I thought the Missouri secondary played well also because they attacked the blockers out on the perimeter, and they ran through those, and they made those plays. So you just didn't allow a lot of explosives. Tennessee loses two fumbles. They throw an interception. It was just a rough day. Milton, 22 at 34, 267, touchdown pick. Um, you know, he ran the ball 10 times for 36 yards. It was just 51 carries for 255 yards for Missouri. I mean, it was, it was impressive. And Cody Schrader was the most impressive part, but that offensive line was great. Armand Mimbu at right tackle was great again. Center had a really nice game. They just, they have a great feel for it, man. They get it. They understand it and they do a good job with it. But this is a huge win for Missouri. Uh, first time they started eight and two since, I don't know, like 98 or something. It's been a while. Um, but to beat Tennessee, a ranked Tennessee team, and beat them the way you did, convincing fashion, like that's a wow win for Missouri and Coach Drink. And now they got a chance to get 10 wins in the regular season. You get Florida at your place. A Florida team struggling. Yes, they're desperate for a bowl game, but struggling a little bit in Como on November 18th. I'll leave Missouri in that one. And obviously you get Arkansas, a team that just got blown out by Auburn. So this could be a heck of a year for Drink in Missouri. Um, you, know, you had to pick six. You had a lot of things go your way if you're Missouri in this game. But the film showed me that they dominated up front. Offensive line, defensive line, and that didn't really – I do think some of the edge guys for Tennessee did some nice things at times, but it just wasn't consistent. And this and this wasn't their style of game. You know, Tennessee, I think they're more comfortable with you trying to throw the ball 50 times, 45 times, and letting those edge rushers just go at you, and they weren't able to do it. And then when you're throwing tight ends and running the stretch play and you're changing up the way that you handle the tight end inserts, like those guys out on the edge, they're, they're kind of taken out. James Pierce did a couple of good things. Uh, 19 out on the edge, but it just, it, this wasn't their day. Heck of a win for Missouri. Uh, I want to tell you guys quickly about game time, the game time app, and also online. You can go check out gametime.co. Um, now listen, you're looking for tickets to a big event. Game time's where you need to go. Fast, easy way to buy tickets to sports, music, comedy, theater events, all near you and anywhere else. Killer last minute deals, all in prices. You get views from your seat and their best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Uh, if you need last-minute tickets, they got flash deals. They have zone deals. Easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. And they have the lowest price guarantee, events cancellation protection, job loss protection even. Game time is going to take care of you. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. You can see the view from your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you get to the arena or the stadium, you can buy tickets in seconds with two taps. All you got to do is get the app, find that game time app on your phone, or you can go online to gametime.co. When you do, if you got, download the game time app, create an account, use promo code cube, C-U-B-E. Now terms apply, but you create that account, promo code cube, you'll save $20 on your first purchase right now. Game time app today, Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed, all events in your area or any other area. Go to gametime.co, use promo code CUBE, save $20 off your first purchase. It's just that easy. All right, um, South Carolina smashes Vanderbilt. Vandy goes to 2-9, and nine, South Carolina 4-6. and six. The South Carolina team continues to fight, man. I'll say this, the Vandy team fights hard too. Their defense did play hard. 
like 91, 99, 95 inside. Those D linemen, they rip, man. They're limited athletically, but they go after you. 10 at linebacker played hard again. He was getting after it. Um, the weather hurt them offensively a little bit, I think. The, the quick game kind of goes away at that point. Spencer Rattler was really good. 20 to 36, 351, three touchdowns, one interception. Xavier Leggett, badass again. Uh, nine for 120, couldn't get in the end zone. They had eight players with a reception of 10 or more yards. Like having 10 back in the slot is huge for South Carolina. They get the explosive capability there, put them in the backfield. You can move them around. You get the jet sweeps going. They get the stretch play going with Mario Anderson. I thought 55 at left guard did some good things. He's getting a little bit better. Uh, the center did some good things um, in that stretch play, kind of understanding when to turn and, and close the guy off or when to keep running up. Um, you know, they had a block punt return for touchdown. A lot of things went South Carolina's way here. Ken Seals, 13 to 28, 104 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. The run game just wasn't there. Um, Boogie Huntley, Tonka Hemingway, like those guys had a really nice game for South Carolina. Um, caught a touchdown pass too down there in short yardage. But, you know, Jordan Strawn off the edge. I thought they attacked up front. They were disruptive up front and that made life very difficult on Vanderbilt. But once again, quick game, screen game. Vanderbilt needs those things to get the football in their playmakers' hands quickly, and they weren't going to be able to do it with the weather and with the pressure that was coming from that South Carolina front. And they, the Vanderbilt offensive line just cannot hold up well enough for them to really challenge teams down the field. It's just not there. Uh, and they have their receivers to be able to do it. Like They have playmakers, but they can't hold up long enough to be able to make that happen. Um, I think six tight end for South Carolina is really coming on. Like he's been great for that group, really doing some nice things, blocking in the run game, catching. And with number one out for the last couple of weeks, like he's really stepped up and done a nice job. So kind of good to see what he's been able to do and like what he's brought to the table. But the South Carolina offensive line held up a little bit better. Rattler just kind of boom, get the ball out, know where he's going to go with it. Um, you know, you did see. You know, your five-star recruit, wide receiver, try to get involved a little bit, but the inconsistency is still not there. Like, you know, Harbor's got to be a guy that kind of looks at this as it's the opportunities are going to be limited, and so you got to make the most of them when you get them. And, and Nicholas had a couple balls that were catchable, and then blocking, he lets a couple guys free when South Carolina had a chance to pick up some big plays. So I thought South Carolina's linebackers were super aggressive, also played well. Thought they had a good game, but up front, like Boogie Huntley, Tonka, like those guys, they pretty much dominated that portion of this game. And Rattler was just on point. And when he gets it to Xavier Leggett and that catch and run comes or the deep balls come, like it's good things are going to happen. Great tight end play from six. Mario Anderson ran well. The one play where he breaks like 11 tackles and spins and this is, that was dumb. It was awesome, but it was ridiculous. He had a really good game. So, I really feel like Dal Loggins is doing a nice job of kind of operating with what he has and taking a little bit of what has been there and what's not there and then being able to say, okay, like we understand what this is supposed to look like. We can't be dominant in a lot of ways, but I also realize that we should be able to go out there and make some different things happen. And they're moving the pieces around, just kind of putting this thing together and being able to find ways to get it done. So Auburn goes to six and four, three and seven go the Razorbacks, 48-10. I didn't see this one coming. 
Didn't see it going like this. Uh, it was a great day for the Auburn offense. But as we mentioned with a couple other games, so many things went Auburn's way that Arkansas got put in a bad spot kind of early on. Couldn't get the run game going. KJ 15 for 50. Rocket Sanders 8 for 0. Um, it just wasn't there. You give that Auburn defensive front. Marcus Harris was really good. Uh, Lawrence Johnson kind of got going a little bit for that Auburn D-line. Um, linebackers, Eugene Asante, great again. Um, those kids are just playing at a high level. I think the Auburn defense is really starting to collectively come together and play good football. Um, when you see 35 on the edge, Keldrick Falk, he's starting, he's turning into a better football player. Like he understands how to play the edge against the run a little bit better. He closes space a little bit more. He's, he's obviously a good pass rusher. He's been doing that most of the year. Not super twitchy off the edge, but he's giving him a little something extra. He's just turning into a good football player. Um, not just a guy that's a good athlete that they're sticking out over there on the edge. Uh, they batted ball down. They hit KJ Jefferson. I mean, the Auburn front was really good in this game. Uh, Justin Rogers continues to make plays up front, but that's secondary, man. Um, I mean, obviously you had the punt return. But then still, I mean, Zero's out there making plays like he has been since he came back from surgery. Um, Keontae has been incredible. Zion Puckett was making plays, flying up to the line of scrimmage. Champ Anthony had a play behind the line of scrimmage where he came up and run support. I, do, I just think it's collective. And now I do think that, like I said, the advantage for Arkansas last week when I was talking about this game was that – the advantage for Auburn, excuse me – was that these Arkansas receivers couldn't separate. It's a really good secondary. Should be able to devote more numbers to the box. And Ron Roberts was able to do that. So you had more guys playing downhill. You had more pass rushers that were able to tee off. And you had more secondary players that were added to the run game that were all able to help out. And there just wasn't really anything there for this Arkansas offense. You know, KJ kind of looked disrupted. Just couldn't. And you wondered who the momentum was going to be with. Because both of those wins were big last week. But now Arkansas are, goes three and seven. Auburn's going to be bowl eligible at six and four. Got a chance to be seven and four heading into the Iron Bowl with a defense playing really good football. You'll see. Um, Rivaldo Fairweather, three for 28, two touchdowns. He was really good. Um, Brian Batty kind of got hit a couple of carries and looked good. Jarquez Hunter, 16 for 109. And a lot of it was by design, not so much the offensive line just blowing people off the ball because that D line's tough. But I will say this. The middle of that D-line has been playing great this year. I saw some shoulders turn. I saw guys pushed off the ball, guys out of their gaps. Like, it wasn't what it had been the majority of this season. Linebackers still flying around. Chris Paul, Jaheim Thomas made some plays. But the visual deception that Hugh has given you right now offensively, uh, with all the movement, all the reads, like he's doing a great job of finding space within this offense. And Peyton Thorne's got a little bit better feel for the RPO game and if you go back to week two and three and listen to Hugh Freeze and what he was talking about with this offense, he harped on the inability to utilize RPO and the inability to utilize tempo. Now they go a little bit faster. That's helping out some. But Peyton Thorne's ability to know when to hand the ball off, when to pull it, and then be able to throw it and actually complete passes. There were still some drops in this game that weren't good. Receivers weren't great. Um, I think that's, that's made the biggest difference. And then Thorne using his legs, 12 for 88. And a touchdown, like he's doing a good job sort of starting to manage the offense a little bit more. 7 of 12 on third downs, 517 yards for this Auburn offense. It was a big day for Auburn, big day for Hugh Freeze. He did a lot of things that his team had not done. And to do it on the road against a conference opponent that seemingly found this new life last week, that was a pretty big win. And 
could set up a pretty cool Iron Bowl moving forward. So a nice win for Auburn. Um, we know holiday season, speaking of Iron Bowls, coming around. If you're looking for nutritious, convenient meals that can keep you energized on jam-packed days, Factor is where you need to go. America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. They can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, or dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian improved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You're going to save time. You're going to eat well and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-do list. Too busy with holiday plans to cook? If you want to make sure you're eating well with Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store, all the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up, and while still getting flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. All you have to do is heat up and enjoy. Skip the stress of meal prep over the holidays and choose Factor. You can choose from 35 or more weekly flavor-packed, fresh, never-frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle. Uh, if you need an extra boost to support your wellness goals and feel your best during the holidays, you can try Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. And with Factor, you can rest assured you're making sustainable choice. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions and source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices. This November, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Head to factormeals.com slash cube 50 factormeals.com slash cube 50 and you can get 50% off that's code cube 50 at factormeals.com slash cube 50 and save 50% off your factor meals today finally um the game that got them fired Mississippi State goes to four and six A&M goes to six and four A&M wins 51 to 10 and they fire their coach uh, first, the game will go there because Zach Arnett would then be fired. Um, Jalen Henderson starts at quarterback, 11 of 19, 150 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, ran 12 times for 60 yards, two touchdowns rushing. This kid's got some juice, man. Like he can go when he decides to get, when he decides to leave the pocket, he can run. Lefty throws a good ball. He's decisive. He gets it out pretty quick. I think if you're an A&M fan and you're looking towards the future and it might end up being Jalen Henderson, you're pretty excited with what you saw. Now, was it consistent? Was it all managed the way it needed to be? No. But I'll also say this. I don't know what those coaches knew, but they did a good job putting a plan together for this young man and his skill set. Um, just quick reads, not there, leave the pocket, some quick throws, read plays, lean on the run game a little bit, and there you go. Um, it was the opposite for the Mississippi State quarterbacks. Mike Wright, 5-9. 68 yards. Um, Chris Parsons started the game 5 of 12, 36 yards. He had three interceptions. You, I just don't think you can put that kid in that situation, man. You're playing an elite defensive line in one of the most difficult places in this league to play for his first career start. Like, in your offense is struggling. Um, needed more Tulu early. They tried to get it going to Xavion a little bit early. And, you know, still didn't have Woody Marks, no Will Rogers, but I mean, Oh man, it just, it, it wasn't great. Those two went 10 for 21, 104 yards, no touchdowns, three picks. Not going to get it done. Um, thought they would try to lean on the run just a little bit more. Wasn't really there. Um, but yeah, turnover, special teams didn't go their way. Like they were in a hole early and that, that's a bad spot to be in when you're in that quarterback situation against that defensive line. Cause Walter Nolan and Shamar Turner, McKinley Jackson, those guys were ripping up front. They were, they were in full attack mode. 
Shamar Turner looked – I mean, he played angry. He played pissed off in this game. Did a lot of good things. Adrian Cooper, again, on fire, 11 tackles. Um, I think I saw that dude's not up for the Buckus Award, which is asinine. I don't know another way to say it, uh, but that's a lot of these college awards for you. Um, they had seven TFLs and five sacks in the game. That's what that group does. Um, you know, 45 for 246 on the ground uh, compared to 36 for 133 for Mississippi State. Uh, the state offensive line still didn't play very well. They missed some protections. Uh, they didn't hand things off in the run game as well as they needed to. Got a nice Smith going. I like that part of it, which was solid. And you get a dominant win at home. It doesn't matter. You fire your coach. So Jimbo Fisher was 45 and 25 in six seasons as the A&M head coach. Um, he lost at least four in five of his six seasons there. That's crazy to think about. Now he's 26 and 10 in his first three years, got the fourth in the AP poll, highest finish in however 50, 100 years, um, in 2020, but then 19 and 15 since they've lost nine straight games on the road. Elijah Robinson will be the interim. Um, it's a solid choice, going to help with recruiting. You would hope you'd bring a coach in that's going to want to keep him around with the relationships he's got, but. The timing feels a little bit odd, but like Ross Bjork said, with where we are as far as the portal and early signing period, like everything's been moved up. So you want to get a head start. And if other schools are going to make a move, you want to be able to have first choice. And Mississippi State made their move. We'll talk about that one in a minute. And then obviously it looks like there are a couple others that are on the brink thinking about making a move as well. So A&M will be the first big dog out of the gate to go and try to find a new head football coach. Um, Jimbo Fisher, to me, a little bit stubborn, didn't necessarily morph with the times, relating to players, staff members relating to players, obviously the offensive thing, that was a little bit of an issue. Some of the stuff we've heard in the media, not necessarily handled the way that you would want it to be. I think all those things led to this and led to the to the team not being able to progress to where it should because – you watch these receivers, you watch this defensive line, you watch 45, Edger and Cooper, and it's like, they should be winning games. I mean, when Le'Veon Moss was healthy, you're watching him, you're watching Anaya Smith, like, they should be winning games. And the offensive line's gone backwards the last two years. There are, there are players on that offensive line that last year and the year before put good film on. I've seen it. I've watched it. I haven't seen much this year, from really from any of them. So they've digressed for two straight years. Can't happen. Injuries have been a real part of the problem, quarterback specifically, but that's everybody. Everybody's getting guys hurt. Everybody has guys that get banged up. Can't be the only excuse. And they have the resources to go make this a big-time job. I I agree with my guy, Josh Pate, and I'll kind of steal this from him. The coaching world will view this job very differently than the fan world will, or even the people who don't cover this sport in a very serious manner. Um, the resources, the availability to talent, uh, the proximity to talent, the history and the tradition, you can say championships, but there are other parts of that that are still there and that are viable. The network that they have, a lot of coaches are going to look, a lot of coaches will look at how Jimbo did things from recruiting to NIL and facilities resources and say, Oh, I'll, I want to sign up for that because I know I can coach and I'll go figure that part of it out. My advice would be don't overthink this. Like Dan Landing keeps coming up and can you pay 70 million, whatever it is? Oh, by the way, I don't, I just don't freaking care about the numbers, like the money. I don't. It's not school money. So I don't know why people care. Um, but it, it is a lot. I mean, we have to, 
I think we have to agree with that. This Dan Lanning thing, like it doesn't have to be Dan Lanning. There are a lot of good choices out there that can come win games there and maybe win a championship there. All Everything has to come together to win a title. It's not just the head coach. He's got to have a good staff. He's got to have fan support. He's got to have players. His players have got to make plays. So like, there's a, there seems to be this public fixation on Lanning. I think Dan Lanning's awesome. The first time I sat down with him when he was at Georgia, D.C., I was blown away. I was like, this dude is a star. He's going to be big time. But I'm just saying it doesn't have to be Dan Lanning and College Station to win. And to have to spend an egregious amount, which you've already done to not win the way you want to, it doesn't have to just be that again. So it doesn't have to be a spending spree like Scott Woodward's at LSU now. It doesn't have to be big game hunting anymore. It doesn't. And I don't think Ross Bjork will do that. He's made some pretty intelligent hires in other spots and other other sports too. So we'll see where that one goes. Um, but I think there are some interesting names that are going to pop up and people are going to immediately say, eh. But when you think about it and you take a step back, it could make a lot of sense. Uh, Mississippi State fires Zach Arnett. This thing was just, was it mishandled? I don't know because we don't know how to, how it should have been handled. Um, very rarely have we lost in the history of college football a sitting head coach. It's tragic. We should never have to think about it and do it. I hate it for the Mississippi State family. I hate it for Zach Arnett and those assistants and their families. He's got some good guys on that staff. Like Kevin Barbe is a great guy, and I think he's a good offensive mind. I just don't think he has the pieces together. Remember on this show, and I don't like doing this a whole lot, before the season we sat there and told you this is going to be a very tough transition offensively. A lot of you guys laughed. And a lot of you guys tweeted at me and tweeted at Jacob Hester and tweeted at some other folks that tried to tell you, hey, fucko, we've done this. We know what it is. Members of the media, I'm not talking about fans, members of the media tried to come at us like that. So just know. I like Zach Arnett. I love talking to Zach Arnett. I like being around him. He's a ball guy. And this was a very difficult spot. The regression of the defense is unacceptable. Bookie and Jet, they played hard in this game. Played good in this game. Nine did some good things in this game. 35 off the edge did some some things in this game. They've got some players. And I think that's the most frustrating part with me watching this team this year is that not to the extent that A&M is, because A&M has players, but they also have exorbitant talent. Like they have big level talent. Like high level, legitimate talent guys. But Mississippi State's got some good football players, man. Like Tool's a good football player. Jet's a great football player. Bookie's a good football player. Um, Woody Marks, great football, not just a good running back, great football player. The quarterback thing, yeah, it's tough, especially you go from the big offensive transition and then you have to retransition to something totally different with Mike Wright. Those are the breaks, you know? And I don't know if this is the right time. I don't know if there was a right time, but they're going to turn the page. And I think there are going to be some names that are going to be interested in that job that can go win. Um, a lot of people saying Dan Mullen. I personally don't think Dan Mullen wants to coach. Maybe ever. I think he likes what he's doing. He's got enough money. I think he likes hanging out with his kids. I think he's good at what he does now. Would he consider Starkville? Maybe, but I just don't know if the itch to coach is that great for him right now, especially with everything going on in college football. I also think there are some easy names like John Summerall at Troy that would be a home run hire and be done. Here's one thing you're not going to see me do again 
as far as these head coaching job searches and hires. I'm going to get away from fit and finding a good fit and the right fit. Now, McElroy disagreed with me a little bit on this morning. He made a decent point. You know, I said, is there a better fit for LSU than Ed Orgeron? Is there a better fit for Arkansas than Sam Pittman? I mean, he grew up right on the state line, Oklahoma, like rooting for the Hogs. He's an offensive line coach going to coach the Hogs. I don't know if there are better fits for those jobs. Like Malzahn was a great fit at Auburn. So, like, was Mike DeBose not a good fit at Alabama? I just don't – I'm going to get away from fit because a lot of people are going to look at the A&M job and say, was he the right fit? So you're telling me if they bring in a guy who doesn't wear cowboy boots or a big belt buckle and he wins 10 games a year and gets a national title that people aren't going to like him because he's not the right fit? I don't think A&M fans care if their coach is from New Jersey or Hawaii. If he wins games, they will like him and they will get behind him. And I think sometimes we overthink these things to the extent of what is necessary now in today's college football. Management, player, staff, fan, administration, NIL, money, all time. That is most important. Management, all of it, not roster management. All the management is most important. Unfortunately, coaching ball is not a huge part of it anymore. Like, I think you need that and you want that and you got to have, you got to be able to see that from players, assistants, position coaches. You got to know what it looks like to go coach your D line and call your offensive plays and what talent looks like in recruiting. But just being able to coach ball yourself is becoming less and less important. You have to be able to manage. You have to be able to motivate. You have to be able to both accumulate talent and develop talent. Because we talked about this on our game Saturday night. What is the recipe right now? Michigan State loaded up on the portal a couple of years ago. What did they get? 35 guys, 33 guys? It was great year one. Went to hell in a handbasket. We got another guy, Clemson, even though I do think he is shopping for guys in the portal some. We just might not know about it. But hasn't brought anybody in, really. Seems to be going downhill a little bit. I'm not saying crash and burn, but it's not what it was. Like, what is the – Alabama and Georgia are taking guys in the portal. Not as many. Some teams need to take more. I mean, hell, we had a guy at Texas State two years ago that didn't sign a high school kid. So I, it's somewhere in the middle. But, again, managing one year you might need ten guys. One year you might need two guys. So I think that's the most important part. Management, organization, motivation, network. Network is huge. Think about the conversation that just popped into my brain. I had with Pete Golding about a guy they kept on their roster that's helping them this year. Pete said he got there. Kid was in the portal. He said, man, that kid can help us. I want to help him win. What do you know? Pete recruited his high school, knew his high school coach, put those back together, went and worked on the kid through the other people that he already knew, and he was able to get him out of the portal and stay at Ole Miss. Your network is critical. It's important. Because it's going to help you in recruiting. It's going to help you recruiting more coaches. It's going to help you have the understanding of who's going to go where and who needs to be a part of what you do and how you do it. Look at Lane, what he's doing in the portal. It's working for them. But some other people might need to do it a little bit different. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. 
Please subscribe if you're watching on YouTube at Cube Show 61. If you're not in front of your computer, please go subscribe to that. Uh, trying to hit 10,000 by the end of the season, and we ain't even close. Um, at Cube Show on Instagram, at Cube Show on Twitter. Thank you so much for being a part. We'll be back next week after Lettuce Week. It's going to be tough for me to get out on Sunday. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. It's a lot of games. And how I'm going to get through all that film uh, on Sunday, I don't know. But I am in Columbia, so I'm driving up after the game. I might have a little bit of a head start. We'll try to do it for you. And then we'll get you set for Rivalry Week. Maybe something special for Rivalry Week. I don't know. We'll see what we can do. Thank you guys very much. Thanks to our sponsors. We're back next week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.